let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening where we continue our reflections into Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. This evening, in principle, we will, we will be discussing how the love of Christ should urge us on. Right, this is a, a key verse that comes to us from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, so... That, among other things, we will discuss. But before we get into that, I wanted to first go back to something I was talking about yesterday evening, this whole idea of you becoming a better you in the light of Jesus Christ, who is both human and divine. This subject matter yesterday evening really did get a lot of mileage by way of discussion, so I wanted to go back to that a little bit and just really extend that teaching one of you out there asked the question, does this not come from Gaudium et Spes, paragraph 22? Now, to most of you out there, maybe you have no idea what that is. Gaudium et Spes uh, was a pastoral constitution um, on the church in the modern world, and paragraph 22, yes, very much reflected into this, it is no longer I living, but Christ who lives in me. And in doing so, really established at the forefront of the Second Vatican Council the importance of understanding the priority of having not only a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but what that looks like in the light of a sound Christology. So what I wanted to do is read a little bit of paragraph 22, and once again, just kind of extend that reflection from yesterday evening. Now, this is paragraph 22, uh, from Gaudium et Spes, which was a document on the role of the church in the modern world. Okay, paragraph 22. The truth is that only in the mystery of the incarnate word does the mystery of man take on light. And I love that sentence. The truth is that only in the mystery of the incarnate word does the mystery of man take on light. For Adam, the first man was a figure of him who was to come namely Christ the Lord. Christ, the final Adam, by the revelation of the mystery of the Father and his love, fully reveals man to man himself and makes his supreme calling clear. Okay, so as we talked about yesterday evening, in the incarnation, as Jesus reveals to us who we are, he at the same time makes our supreme calling clear. Gaudium et Spes, paragraph 22, continues. He, who is the image of the invisible God, is himself the perfect man. To the sons of Adam, he restores the divine likeness which had been disfigured from the first sin onward. For by his incarnation, the Son of God has united himself in some fashion with every man. He worked with human hands, he thought with a human mind, acted by human choice and loved with the human heart. Born of the Virgin Mary, he has truly been made one of us, like us in all things except sin. By suffering for us, 
he not only provided us with an example for our imitation, he blazed a trail. And if we follow it, life and death are made holy and take on new meaning. Is this not what Paul has been talking about? Huh? He blazed a trail. And if we follow it, life and death are made holy and take on a new meaning. What does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to be sanctified? Huh? Well, Paul, in his first letter to the church of Corinth, draws out this point of being sanctified for a holy purpose. He established this by using a particular Greek term, hagiazo, which literally means set apart, make holy, or consecrate. Now, Paul, by using this term, builds upon the Old Testament vision of holiness rooted in the Hebrew word kadash, which similarly means uh, made special elevated, or made for the divine. Okay, so we are called to participate in the divine nature of God that we might share in the holiness of God, that we do, in fact, realize we were made for the divine, and our humanity is realized once we root it in Jesus Christ. And in closing here with Gaudium et Spes, paragraph 22, through this Spirit, who is the pledge of our inheritance, the whole man is renewed from within, even to the achievement of the redemption of the body. So there they are quoting Romans chapter 8, verse 23. How important is that? The whole man is renewed from within. So we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that we might be renewed from within, that our souls might be transformed into a divine likeness. This is what we are after and what we were talking about yesterday. Uh, and in this, we realize our potential. The word potential comes from the Latin uh, potentia, potentia, which best translates as power, uh, maybe might or force. I was recently talking about how the power of the Holy Spirit is what? An energy. Uh, it is a great force. It is the might and power of God. Once we understand that the gift we have received is the very life and love of God that is the power of the Holy Spirit, will we begin to image God as we ought. There's something else here. As we talk about our uniqueness in who we are, uh, that unrepeatability in who we are, some of that comes from what? But our whole life set of experiences. Joe Holcraft has had a whole life set of experiences that have helped form who I am. And everything that I do from this point onward, to some extent, is tied to what has happened in my past, right? Now, if there are things I need to work on based upon what has been revealed to me in my past, I work on those things. If I have come to grow in a certain area, I recall that and I continue to build upon that. Who Joe Holcraft is before God is not only about who I am and my humanity and my gifts and talents and what I can and can't do. All that, in the end, is tied up, is caught up into my whole life set of experiences and ultimately how that has given shape and form to who I am. So only God, my friends, can be present to that truth. We need spiritual directors. We need spiritual mentors to help us in this path that we are called to follow. But as we get spiritual directors and mentors to help us with this path, 
we do so with a mind's eye that it is God working in and through them. They are in a more generic sense in persona Christi. I'm not talking about you know, the priest as per, in persona Christi in this context as much as just generally speaking, if your spiritual director and or your spiritual mentor is not a priest, they are in the stead of Christ, helping you to get to know better who you are and where you are going. We have to remember something. As Jesus asks us the question, who do you say that I am? He asks another question, right? <laughs> who do I say that you are? Right? So he asks the question, who do you say that I am? And he also asks the question, who do I say that you are? Right? Again, there's only one Jehocraft, and that one Jehocraft has a whole, a whole life set of experiences. I have a history that no one else has, just like you have a history that no one else has. That is what God works with. That is what God works with so as to build us up more and more into his image and likeness. So yeah, this whole discussion on you becoming a better you, us realizing who we are called to be in the end as we seek to reflect God and, and glorify God, this is subject matter that we can treat again and again and again and again, because the deeper we go into this, the more we realize there's so much more to get into. That being said, before we get back into chapter 5, I, I did want to touch upon a few more things as it relates to more review points. Uh, I was a bit remiss that we didn't get into some things in verses 1 to 10, so let's go ahead and do that now. Yesterday, we were talking about the relationship between the body and the soul, and I really didn't get into the dignity of the body. Um, certainly, the belief in the resurrection of the body has ramifications for the present, right? Christianity does not despise the body. It does not, for instance, consider it a prison of the soul, like some people today think. To the contrary, the church upholds the dignity of the body, right? By virtue of our baptism and our participation in the sacraments, Christians belong body and soul, right, to the body of Christ. What did Paul teach in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? How about verse 19? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. Verse 20, glorify God in your body. So we glorify God by treating our own bodies and certainly the bodies of others with what? But great respect. Such respect should influence the way we eat and drink. Such respect should influence how we care for one another. Such respect should influence uh, how we relate to others. It should also affect the way we extend care to, to those who suffer from infirmities and, and lack of necessary bodily needs, such as clothing, food, and shelter. Essentially, the dignity of the body, as St. Paul talks about it, should have us thinking of those great words from Jesus Christ. What you do to the least of your brethren, you did it unto me. Right? Go back and read Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. Okay, if you want to carefully go through what those corporal works of mercy are all about. So the dignity of the body is very much caught up in how we not only treat 
our bodies with dignity, but also how we have respect for others. Certainly that is an important piece in the tradition of our faith. Now, what about this whole aspect of judgment? I received the question, Joe, I never hear from the pulpit my pastor talking about divine judgment. Uh, Should pastors (laughs) preach about divine judgment? Well, on one hand, if all you are preaching about is divine judgment, that's not going to get you very far, right? But certainly within the context of maybe, say, the end of the liturgical year, right, where we are made to reflect upon the last things, um, pastors would be well-served, preachers would be well-served to teach on divine judgment. And why would it be good to teach on divine judgment? Because, brothers and sisters, we need to be reflecting into death, right? We need to be thinking about death. Why? Because when you do so, you begin to live with the end in mind. You begin to see things differently. And you don't want to go overboard with it. But at the same time, there is a reason why at the end of every liturgical year, we are made to reflect upon the last things. Because the last things have us thinking about divine judgment, that final conversation with God. And that final conversation with God is all about how we lived our life here on earth. I mean, have you ever thought about it that way? You know, we talk about prayer as conversation with God. There will be another conversation we have with God, and that conversation will be our final conversation with God, which will reveal everything about who we are. I spend so much time focusing on us realizing the importance of becoming who we are called to be, because that is the starting point to better live out our faith, so that when we have that final conversation with God, it will be one that concludes, come in, my good and faithful servant, and enjoy your reward. Won't you like to hear those words, right? Okay, without further ado, let us jump back into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 to 15. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to be proud of us, so that you may be able to answer those who pride themselves on a man's position and not on his heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ urges us on, because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, for those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Amen. Again, that's verses 11 to 15. How about verse 12 there? Those who pride themselves, uh, i.e. Paul's critics in Corinth. (laughs) What is their preoccupation? Well, clearly, their preoccupation is with position, this outward appearance, not with the more important intentions of the heart. You know, we need to struggle with or struggle against the three Ps, power, prestige, and pleasure. Power, prestige, and pleasure. And why? Because if we don't struggle with, or better said, against those, then we will never 
overcome those. Now here, as I use the word position, I made to uh, specifically touch upon prestige. Okay, so status. You know, status was very important to many in Corinth, as it is very important to many people today. Status, prestige, uh, position, all of these things that act like a disease in our culture can become a disease in our soul. How does that happen? Well, if you think about it, if all you are concerned about is assuming a position to massage your pride, then you've got a problem. If all you think about is establishing a prestige among your friends and among your peers, you have a problem. If achieving a certain status is what moves your every waking moment, you have a problem. Why? Because what does Jesus say? He looks at position, prestige, and status, and he says, if this is what concerns you, you will be last, because the last will be first. So humble yourself. Humble yourself and allow God to work in your life. Position, prestige, and status are a problem because you're putting yourself first. It is only when we put God first in our life that we can begin to see the importance of what we are talking about now. This is why the virtue of humility is so important. Now, we spend so much time protecting the false self. We spend so much time being this person that we are not. Does this not bring us full circle to our initial point for this evening? The need to put Jesus Christ first in our life, that we might become the person that God is calling us to be. And oh, by the way, my friends, this also includes what we do in the world. We can actually advance in a business by becoming the person that God is calling us to be. God can very well, and I'm sure desires, to use you wherever you are at so as to advance the kingdom of God. And if he wishes for you to be in a higher place, then he will put you in a higher place. But let him open the doors. Do the work, right? What does St. Augustine say? Pray as if everything is up to God and work as if everything is up to you. Brothers and sisters, work as if everything is up to you. But don't forget the other half. Pray as if everything is up to God. And if you do advance in whatever outfit you belong to, whatever business you find yourself in, then great. But don't force it. Don't coerce it. Don't browbeat a situation with the hopes of doing something that in the end you probably shouldn't. Understand that when God takes control of our life, we will be what we need to be and do what we need to do. So pride yourself in Jesus Christ. How's that? Okay, how about this verse, the love of Christ urges us on. So here, the sacrificial love of Christ displayed on the cross was so overwhelming to Paul, as it should be to us, that it urged him to become the figure that he became. Brothers and sisters, the same love that poured into the heart of St. Paul is the same love that pours into our heart. And Jesus Christ urges us to, like St. Paul, spread that message of goodness and transforming love to others. Jesus Christ 
holds nothing back. Remember what he said in, in John chapter 3, that when I give the Holy Spirit, I do not hold anything back. I do not, how does he say it, ration out or portion out the Spirit. What Jesus is saying is that I give all of me to everyone. I don't give a little bit to you and, and a little bit to you and a little bit to you. No, I give all of me to everyone. This is one of the great mysteries of Christianity, how he can give all of himself to everyone. I mean, think of the cross. He responds to the question with how much by giving everything. He says enough is never enough until it gives everything. And he gives everything to everyone. And that everything, of course, is the love shared between he and his father the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he holds nothing back. He pours all of the love that we see on the cross into our hearts. And in doing so, he gives us the strength, the power, right? The power to become the person we are called to be because now we have the potential, the potentia to do great things. And we can only do great things with that power. I just absolutely love this kind of subject matter because I think it does urge us on, convict us to be the best version, right, of who God wants us to be. Become a better you. <laughs> Become a better you. And remember that the God of mercy reminds us, just as every saint had a past, every sinner has a future. So Christ's love urges us on. And as it does so, we become, well, what does St. Paul talk about here? We become a new creation. We read in uh, verse 16 and following, From now on, therefore, with regard, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from the God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So here, he's talking about God's holiness, right? And how we are called to share in God's holiness, and how when we share in God's holiness, we become a new creation in Christ. It happens initially in baptism for sure. But as Philippians 2 verses 12 and following remind us, we are each and every day called to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. So we become a new creation each and every day. This is why yesterday I was talking about the importance of putting on the cloth of Christ just as we might put on clothes each and every day. St. Paul treats us because he wants us to see that it is his hope, and hopefully our hope, 
that just as we instinctually dress ourselves with clothing each and every morning, so should we dress ourselves with the garment of Christ, with the garment of Christ's virtues each and every day. This is what it means to become a new creation in Christ, to put on the cloth of Christ, to allow Christ to clothe us in the sacramental life. This is powerful, powerful stuff. Now, I'm looking down at these verses, and certainly there is much, much to be said as it relates to the sacrament of reconciliation here. I'm not even going to begin to touch upon that right now. We'll save that for tomorrow. But what I do want to say in closing is that when he says in verse 19, that is, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, he wants us to see that reconciliation, forgiveness in of itself, is a divine act. Mark chapter 2, verse 7 says as much, right? That forgiveness is a divine act. That forgiveness is God's love working in us. We can only forgive because God gives us the grace to be able to forgive. What St. Paul here is talking about is that when Jesus is on the cross and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, we too are called to follow that trail that Jesus Christ has blazed all the way unto the cross that we might imitate and share in that redemptive mission. This is what Paul is talking about, Colossians 1.24 and Peter in 1 Peter 4.13, that we have a call to share in the mission that is Christ's redemptive suffering. This is clearly a biblical vision that has been entrusted to us, and so we plow forward with an understanding that when we unite our sufferings and our hardships with Christ, conforming them to the cross, there is great power in that. Amen? Amen. All right. With that, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you a special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening, an evening that afforded us the opportunity to continue to reflect into the greatness of your love and how your love, your example, urges us on to become the person that from the beginning of time you called us to be, glorifying you and adding beauty to the mystery of Christ. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.